Hello and welcome to Radio IAGP, episode number 037, episode 37. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get right on into the emails. If you have an email, you can send it into radioiagp at gmail.com. Our first one comes from Moss. Hey Josh, it's Moss. How can you keep a large open world interesting? And what's your favorite Pokemon and why are they so cool? Thank you, Moss. My favorite Pokemon is by far Gengar. Um, I'm a huge fan of pretty much every ghost-type Pokemon, and I think Gengar has probably the best design of most of the ghost types. I think the whole Ghastly Haunter Gengar line is super cool, and Gengar is, like, the epitome of cool of that line. Also, it's just very powerful. Anytime I get one, it's a, it's a blessing, I've found. Always love to have them on the team. Even if they don't really work well, I still really love Gengar, and... I'll always find a place for Ghastly Haunter or Gengar on a team of Pokemon that I'm playing with. How can you keep a large open world interesting? Um, I think you make the exploration fun. Like, I think you provide something interesting around not every corner, because that's a little unreasonable. But I think that even something like Breath of the Wild, right, I think is a really fun open world game because it's just fun to traverse the, the mechanics of wandering around are super fun because you can climb on pretty much anything. And they've built certain areas around those mechanics, right? So, like, I don't remember where it is, but there's, like, a coastal area that has these pillars. And you can see from the ground that those pillars have treasure chests up on top of them of some sort. or some type of item chest up there. And you can climb the pillar, but the problem is that if you don't have the stamina, you can't get all the way up there. So then it's like, okay, well, now I have to go find either more shrines so I can up my stamina or I invest in making potions or whatever mechanic cooking, you know, so I can get my stamina up so I can get to the top of that. And I think it's something like that, right? Even a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, like I'm not doing every side quest, but I'll do a couple because they're interesting and it's, they've They've written a really interesting main character that I like to listen to and I think is cool. So any excuse to spend more time in that world is useful and worthwhile to me. So I think it's mostly about like playing into the strengths, right? Like I don't think it's entirely fun to traverse in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but I do find that, like I said, I'm really invested in that character that you're playing as. So I want to hear more from him and I want to see more of them and do more with them so the open world is engaging breath of the wild is almost the opposite right link is kind of a nobody there's a handful of characterizations you get not of link but of other characters and that's through like the memories the sheikah slate memories thing but it's really all like the mechanics are fun to get around it's cool to wander around and explore because there's always something around the corner there's a shrine there's a Korok seed, there's the Lost Woods, there's so much stuff there that finding it is interesting and finding it is cool and finding it is rewarding. You know, in one way or another, you're either ticking up a number with the Korok seeds, you're doing a fun puzzle with a shrine, which also ticks up a number that hopefully can help you get more hearts or more um, or stamina. And 
you know, just climbing up stuff is fun. The challenge of figuring out the puzzle of how do I get up this, this pillar? How do I get up this mountain? How do I, you know, go around these goblins that I don't want to deal with? You know, like there's, there's stuff there and it's fun to interact with the world. And I think that's really the big thing is make it, make either make engaging with the world fun or make a world that is interesting to engage with. And that's really, I I truly think that's it. You know, I can think of so many examples of open world games where I just didn't care after a little bit. Like I played Infamous Second Son, I think is it? And I didn't play it for very long. And a lot of the open world stuff was just kind of monotonous. You know, I'm trying to get a handful of skills up here and there, but that's not super fun. And I think it's because like traveling wasn't that interesting, you know, doing parkour combat was kind of fun, but that's few and far between. So, you know, at a certain point I was just doing a specific type of side quest. And even then I stopped doing those because it's not fun to wander around in that world. And it's, and the character is not interesting. The game that I think does both of those well is Spider-Man PS4. That version of Peter Parker is interesting to me in a world where almost every Spider-Man story we get outside of, you know, the the ongoing comics, but every new property outside of comics is, let's watch Spider-Man become Spider-Man. Watch Peter get to grips with his powers and learn how to be a hero. Whereas this is a Peter that knows how to be Spider-Man, has been Spider-Man for several years, and it's fun. And so he's a fun character to listen to and talk to and have interact with other characters. And on top of that, just moving around the city is fun. You know, there's a handful of side quests that I'm not super interested in doing. There was the ones, basically any type of like maneuvering challenge I, I didn't quite enjoy. Not because I didn't like maneuvering in that game. Web swinging is fun and super cool, but I never was skillful at it. I was just having fun with it, you know, just going in a direction and getting what I could. And even then I would still try them, you know, even after I knew like, "Ah, I'm not great at this. I'm still going to give it a shot. And again, maneuvering in that game is fun. Web swinging is super fun. They added a camera mode so you can take quick pictures while you're maneuvering. And then on top of that, that Spider-Man is interesting. Those characters are interesting. I want to see them all interact more. You know, I I don't think the DLCs were all that interesting to me, but I still played the Spider-Man for I was part, the PS4 Spider-Man DLC all the way through because I was invested in that character and I wanted to see more and I enjoyed the open world in there because of that. Anyways, thank you so much for the question, Moss. Let's get on to the next one. Here is our next one. Hi, Josh. I haven't touched the Pokemon TCG in years. Have you? Are you looking forward to any new sets? Are you playing paper or online? Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. Um, uh, the last time I touched new cards was opening up some remainder packs that I had left over of Generations, which was a promo set of some sort. I don't remember if it was even like standard rotation legal or anything, but they were cool cards that I was really interested in. And that set was just interesting and cool. So I was I was down to open those, but those were ones that I've been sitting on for years, I think at this point. And I just decided to open them on the whim because rare Pokemon cards now, like modern rare Pokemon cards just look so cool. Um, as I've talked about on this podcast before, I'm into Magic the Gathering. And I'm mostly into that for the mechanics. The actual card game itself is very fun. The way that the cards look 
for the most part are kind of generic to me and even and and stuff like getting a foil card is not something i want because those cards look bad they're crinkled or not crinkled but they're curled and they're easy to tell if they're already foil and it sucks that that's a thing and the handful of interesting looking cards like officially made interesting looking cards are either in a set like a a secret rare or secret layer excuse me or it's something that's rare and sought after in a way that i don't care to try and get them outside of the random luck in a booster pack Um, there is for core 2021 they did a set of showcase art for some of them where the borders look different and some of those lands looked so nice and some of the regular cards the other like cards in in that set looked so good and that's it look those are it like i don't want to foil there are no other real like variations on those cards that are interesting however pokemon man you get one of those like textured rare pokemon cards like for a like a full art you know ex pokemon or v max i guess is what they're doing now and any of those or even ones like the uh like the break cards they did a while ago i think i got a break card in whatever that set was that was a throwback to the first basic set like new cards with those old old borders and newer mechanics and i think i got a break card in that and that and that that just looks cool like it's a cool mechanic and on top of that it looks cool as hell so i've i've you know done some pokemon tcg recently in paper i'm i've been told by some friends friend of the brand matt calder posted about this in his discord that there is a new set coming out focused on shiny pokemon which is wild that they don't do shining shiny pokemon in the card game all that often and i think that's cool you know i I haven't not quite kept up with the modern mechanics like i said i know v max is a mechanic off the top of my head but i don't know what exactly it is outside of just a different type of ex pokemon or different type of evolution pokemon maybe i haven't even played with them so i don't know but if i was to play there doesn't seem to be as much of a community for playing paper through webcams and stuff with pokemon because the pokemon trading card game online is pretty good you know arena has its own unique problems and magic the gathering online has its own unique problems and i think that that's a fracture in the user base that means that it's harder to play online however there is a ton of community based around playing magic through paper through webcams and stuff and that just doesn't exist with, exist with pokemon also it's just generally cheaper uh, to play pokemon tcg online compared to compared to magic the gathering arena for instance um if i was to play i want to play zendikar rising right but if i want to play against other beings with zendikar rising i have to spend like 20 bucks in gems just to do a draft um and while pokemon tcg online doesn't have events like that they don't do drafts they don't do things like that on their client i don't know that they do draft in general for online or for physical games but on top of that every every booster pack that pokemon puts out comes with a qr code to redeem that booster pack not exactly not the exact same cards but a digital version of that same booster pack in in the online client magic the gathering arena doesn't have that you know so the cost to play on arena is 
basically the same as the cost to play in paper. You know, it's only a matter of what interface do you prefer. Do you prefer to play with paper over playing digitally, so on and so on. With Pokemon, it's just cheap. There is a website I use where I can buy QR codes for different booster packs. You know, I let it wait like basically six months and there's new packs and stuff that I haven't played with. They're less than a dollar a pack, which compared to a paper pack being like $3 at least, that's an incredible deal. And a lot of times the website I use has sales and deals and all types of things. So if I'm smart about it, I can get like 40 packs of Pokemon cards for the online client for like less than $20. And that way I get a bunch of new cards and I can hopefully play with them, you know, either just random matches or something, you know, with them. And that's good enough for me for Pokemon TCG. I think that answers the question. I know I rambled, but I don't think I actually answered the question. So I hope I did. Thanks again, Tyler. All right, here is our next email. Greetings, fair adventurer. It is I, Brian, the moderately acceptable, and I have a question for you. What sort of streaming website can defeat Twitch? It's a site that has a lot of problems, so many that I wanted to use one or two as an example and got flooded with bad decisions Twitter has made. So people have to be desperate for an alternative, right? What would it take to dethrone that big purple asshole? I was thinking, I was trying to think of what could possibly knock him off their poggers throne, and my mind came to a lot of money probably, but not even Microsoft could do it with Beam, I mean Mixer. Microsoft loves pumping money into risky things, just look at that big blue ninjutsu-less jerk butt. They paid a lot, played a lot of money to come to their website. I'd love to see an alternative that's viable, but I don't know what would ever win. You've got to have an idea, right? Love, Brian. Love you too, buddy. Um, I mean, I think, I think it comes down to money and also being Twitch but better is really what it comes down to. And I know that those are two pretty generic answers, but I think a lot of the problems that people have with Twitch is that Twitch, I feel like, is constantly wanting to change and the changes that they're trying to do are never the ones that people want, right? Like, what's that dude's that dude that groomed minors, Onison? Onison? However you say his name. That dude's like a partner on Twitch. That should never have flopped. That should never be allowed to happen on Twitch. And I think that that's kind of where the issues lie, is that they put a lot of effort into making big changes, you know, like the weird mid-roll ads thing that they were doing for streams, which doesn't make sense, you know? Like, it completely breaks up the flow of a stream if you were having to then sit through unskippable ads, because, you know, Twitch ads aren't skippable, and they're long. They're like 30 seconds long in most cases. I, there aren't a lot of people I watch who I'm not like a Twitch subscriber to. For instance, Brian and I's friend, Matt Calder, twitch.tv slash Matt Calder. Um, I'm, I'm a sub. I've been, I've been subscribed to him basically since I realized that my, my Amazon Prime subscription could be used as a Twitch subscription as well. And it just means I don't get ads and it's great. I love it. There are other streamers I follow that, you know, when I, I make sure to come in early before they've actually started because I know I'm going to sit through like a 15 second to 30 minute, 30 second ad that's unskippable for like, I don't know, someone trying to pander to the Twitch audience, but for Taco Bell or something, you know? But there are all these like small changes that basically make the platform more money, but not more usable to the people streaming. And I think that's the problem, right? They don't do anything about harassment. So none of their 
money is going into reinvesting in the community and reinvesting in the people who are making the money, right? Because that's how Twitch is making its money is by people streaming and people watching. Twitch doesn't have to make any content if it doesn't want to. And they're not doing anything to make those streamers' lives any easier on Twitch. So if there was a platform that had Amazon money behind it that was invested in growing the audience, listening to the people who are actually streaming in terms of features and suggestions, but on top of that, making it like a welcoming community. I feel like every week I'm seeing something on Twitch about how someone's just getting harassed endlessly because they're a minority that happens to stream on Twitch and Twitch does literally nothing about it or the barest minimum, but most likely nothing at all. And so I think you just do that. You also realize that running a running a site like that isn't just like, all right, in six months, if it's not doing good, we got to pull the plug, you know? Like Mixer, I don't think lasted, it didn't feel like it lasted very long. I'll put it that way. It felt very much like a, a Google thing, right? But that's, it's, it's a very, I feel like a lot of places open up new platforms in the way Google does, right? Where Google will try and put something out, Stadia, the reader, RSS reader thing that they had, all these things. And they'll support it for a little while. But in the back of your mind, the thought is this could go at any minute because Google doesn't care if they're not interested in it. They just pull the plug regardless of user investment. You can look at Stadia right now. Stadia is not even going to be out of the box compatible with the new Google stream devices for your TV. So what's the point? You know, I feel bad for people who have put money into this only for Stadia to be done in like, what, a year or two? I think that's it, is you have to assure, not only do you have to have a similar monetary backing that Twitch does, and you have to be Twitch but better, but you have to promise your people that you're, your users, your streamers, everybody, you have to promise that the, the site doesn't just disappear in six months to a year. You have to be willing to put in the time because that's really the big thing is that Twitch is so big because it never went away, right? Started as Justin TV, became Twitch TV, and now they're looping back in on themselves, re-adding the stuff that was lost from Justin TV that when they shut that down. But it's just existed for so long. And that's the problem is you're not going to dethrone Twitch in a week, a month, maybe even a year or two. You're, it's just not going to happen. But you have to stick around for the long haul in order for there to be even a chance that you do run Twitch out of business. I, I don't think, I don't think it's difficult for this to, or I don't, this all, I feel like it's all pretty easy, I think is what I'm gonna, what I'd say. The difficult part is finding parties willing to make those decisions, willing to say, we're backing you with a ton of money, no questions asked, you do what you think is right, we understand that this isn't gonna be the Twitch killer until however, however much time into it. And that's really what it comes down to is, it, it would be difficult to find someone willing to put in the effort to stick it to Twitch. Even in the case of Microsoft, right? It's like you're throwing money at the wrong problems. Like, yeah, people will, will watch Ninja, but are they going to stay? Are they going to watch other streamers? Who knows, right? So is that investment in Ninja smart? Probably not, I'd bet. It should be, because that's the thing is that, yeah, those big streamers bring in money, 
but the little streamers also bring in money if they're verified or a partner or whatever, you know? The people who stream for hours a day, several days a week, on schedule, you know, those people are also bringing in pretty consistent money too, I'd bet. So you'd also probably want to incentivize them to come over in some capacity because putting all your eggs in the ninja basket is not smart because that dude could decide he doesn't want to stream anymore. Decide, I'm not going to do this after my contract is up. I'm going to go back to Twitch and your product isn't very good. So it's much better to try and cultivate what you want. And if you just want the big names, then where do the little guys fit in there? You know, where would I fit into that mixer landscape if they didn't care to seek me out <laughs> you know i wasn't getting millions of dollars to be on mixer only one guy was or only a handful of people i think but you know what i mean it's they wanted the big names and that's what they wanted they didn't want to build community they didn't want to build a platform that wasn't just for the already popular they just wanted the big names and then if that didn't work that didn't work too bad so sad see you on facebook gaming i guess even then like facebook has a ton of money behind it and I don't like watching videos on Facebook let alone I wouldn't want to watch someone stream on Facebook so I think that Facebook has a longer history of supporting things for longer than they should or longer than, they, than people thought they would but at the same time like I don't want a Facebook account to watch a, a game streamer like I don't want a Facebook account to just watch someone play Among Us which is like the best part of something like YouTube is that their their streaming integration is okay. You know, if I get on YouTube right now, I will see live streamers of many varieties, games or otherwise, in my recommendations. And that's cool that I don't have to go to a different website for that. Twitch Video On Demand was bad. Their player was barely good enough to play streaming content, let alone Video On Demand content. So I don't know. I just think... Anyone who tries it, you gotta have, you gotta be willing to give the time, the money, and the effort to actually try and be better than Twitch. It can't just be one or two of those three things. It has to be all three. And I think the time one is almost the most important one because if that thing, if who knows if it's going to be there in a year, then who's going to want to make the efforts to change over to a new platform altogether and abandon the old one. So that's just my thoughts on that. Uh, thank you so much for the email, and I think we'll call it there. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you have any emails that you'd like to send in to us, you can do so at radioiagp at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at implausiblyj. You can follow the brand Implausibly Average on Twitter at implausiblya. Find us on YouTube, search for Implausibly Average. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you all next time. Later.